0: well father we thank you for this day lord we thank you for that which this day symbolizes for us as a church lord as we remember lord so almost two thousand years ago the church being born lord that great outpouring of your holy spirit lord you said that you would fill your saints your church your people with power from on high and lord we've seen the world transformed through that power through the indwelling of your holy spirit as we've been able to be witnesses for you uh, father we just pray now as we look at these things this morning that you would stir our hearts that we would be edified together encouraged in your word but also lord challenged lord move us forward we pray and i'll walk with you this morning lord help us not to have any hardness in our hearts lord just soften us give us ears to hear we pray we ask it in jesus name amen okay so as we've already mentioned today is pentecost the study this morning, and we're going to springboard from the book of James, and you'll, you'll see why in a moment. Uh, James, obviously, is the book that we're studying verse by verse, chapter by chapter in a moment. But the, the study this morning really is the birth, the mandate, and the hope of the church, all of which I believe are found in the feast or festival of Pentecost, and that's what we're going to be looking at as we go through these things this morning. Now, I just want to remind you as we get into the study of the things that we were talking about last week, uh, looking in James chapter 3. James in verse 11 asked that question, does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Now, really the challenge is to us as Christians, what are our lives producing? Now, fantastic verse that James shared with us this morning, we should be producing fruit. If we're connected to the roots, if we're connected to Jesus, who is divine, naturally, there should be fruit that should be overflowing in our lives. But the really, the question that James puts to us is, is that the case? Are we really, truly connected? Is that flow of influence from the world producing worldly fruit, or is it from the Holy Spirit producing godly fruit? That's the challenge. And of course, James carries on and says, Can the uh, fig tree, my brethren... Olive berries. And just to remind you again, James grew up with that family with Jesus. He knew exactly what it was like to be a brother. And he speaks to us as his brethren now as part of his family, recognizing we're all part of this together. You know what it's like in a family. Something that one person does affects everybody. You know, you can't get away from that. Well, that's the way the church is. And Paul makes that point on a number of occasions. That we are part of one body. And so these things aren't just isolated. What we do, the things that we allow into our lives don't just impact ourselves. They impact the body. And this is exactly what we read in scripture. So James says, can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? And of course we know it can't. He says, or either vine figs. We know that you don't get figs from, from, from vines. You only get grapes. He says, so no fountain both yield salt, water and fresh. Of course it's an impossibility. And he's saying that's how it should be. We need to decide. It's very much the uh top of mount carmel conversation that elijah has with the people choose you this day um whom you will serve if god is god then serve him Uh, if baal is is god then we'll serve him and of course the people after seeing elijah bring down uh, pray and god bring down that fire from heaven and the the offerings consumed the people acknowledge say no we will serve god and that's the challenge that james is really putting to us you know what is your life going to produce as a christian and then James concludes, and we looked at this at the tail end of the study last week, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge? Now, that's where we should all be as believers. It's not talking about an intellectual wisdom. Uh, it's talking about spiritual. He says, who's a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation. Speaking of lifestyle let us show out of a good lifestyle the way that we live our lives his works that's the fruit that we're producing again to go back to the verse that james read for us a little while ago you know that if we are connected to the vine the fruit the works that we're producing will be good things and again notice that with meekness of wisdom we're not trying to get one over another people We're not trying to prove a point not trying to uh impress other people around us because of our knowledge or ability or whatever else that's the world's way that's not god's way uh, and it says, it says uh, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts glory not and lie not against the truth in other words you know what if you're still struggling with these things don't pretend everything's okay don't just say you know oh no i'm doing fine thank you Now, be honest enough to say, you know, actually, there is bitterness. There is this envying. I'm still looking to things of the world. I still want those things in my life. Okay, it's not uncommon for believers to struggle with those kind of things. In fact, you've only got to read Romans chapter 7 to find even the apostle Paul had those challenges. Now, there is a solution. And we're going to come to that in a second. We'll talk more of what what we were sharing last week. But there shouldn't be that bitter envy. We, we should get past that point. And so many Christians, in my experience, and even in my own life, I've been at a stage years back now that I really struggle with these things. How do you live that Christian life? It is the Romans 7 argument that, that you know, that which I want to do, I find myself not doing. And I'm sure if we're honest with ourselves, we all have that kind of challenge. James tells us this wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish you know there's three challenges that we face it's the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh the pride of life it goes all the way back to the garden of eden that's the the challenges that eve faced there they're the same challenges we face and we've been reminded that those things come from within us it's not we can't just blame the devil for all this stuff because james has already made the point in chapter one that those things come from within it's out of the heart that precedes these things that's what jesus tells us This is for where envying and strife is, there is confusion. Well, how many Christians, maybe even some of us this morning, are in a place where there really is, if we're honest, confusion in our life. You know, on one hand, that we're we're wanting to really walk with God. On the other hand, we find that you know we're not living as we should. Maybe we've got a, a temper that keeps flaring up. Maybe that there's some bitterness because of things that have happened in the past. Maybe we envy other people. Maybe we're always wanting something we don't have. Maybe we're not content with where we are. Maybe it's the lust of the flesh. Maybe there's things that we're seeing and looking at that we shouldn't be looking at things that we know are warring against the soul as paul tells us as job says those kind of things will root out all your increase it's a fire that burns to destruction destruction now we know in our heads but is it really real in our hearts and is it are we having victory in these areas And sometimes there is genuinely confusion and every evil work. And the problem is, it's not just a problem in terms of being confusing for us. It actually plays out in our lives and affects our conversation, our attitude, the way we are with other people as well. And then the chapter concludes, we looked at last time, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Now, isn't that what we want? It's just, it's just immediately the contrast from the last verse to this verse. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace i don't know about you my soul cries out for that that's what i want in my life that's what i want to be the overriding uh, banner for my life these things the wisdom that's from above i want that to be the influence that directs the way i live The, the paths that i tread need to all be in line with the things of god now again we've looked at this kind of Simple diagram, this chart hopefully it 's helpful to start to visualize in a sense what 's going on in, in our souls in who we are we 've got the the flow from the world, things that go into our brain come through our eyes, they go through our ears, even through our senses sometimes you know and those things influence us, those worldly lusts and passions and desires, and so on now. Again, to to put in context, some of those things are not necessarily wrong, but they have to be within a framework. God gives us very strict boundaries for the things of the flesh because otherwise they can get out of control. And so we've got the influence from the world coming one way, and then we've got the influence from, from God and from his spirit coming the other way into our lives. And this, all of this, by the way, you can't separate it up. This is us. This is who we are. And we are body, soul, and spirit. We've been made in the image and the likeness of God, those three component parts. Every one of those is so important. Uh, Of course, from a spiritual point of view, you look at the Trinity, you look at God the Father, very much analogous to the soul. You've got God the Son who took on physical form but of course in the physical in the physical sense jesus was uh, willing to submit and to be obedient to the will of his father that's what we have to do in a sense with our body and then of course the holy spirit that, that part of us so when the word of god speaks of us of being made in the image and likeness of god it's a true statement and we really have been now building on that i want to go on this morning to look at this subject as it is today the day of pentecost the day the church remembers the, the birth of the church But also just to talk about the mandate. Now, this really is building on what James has said. How should we be as a church, as individuals within the body of Christ, but also talk about the hope that we have within the church? And so we're going to try to explore these things this morning. Now, I want to read to you something in a moment by Pastor John Corson. I know some of you are familiar with John Corson uh John was the uh, or is still is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Applegate in America uh was very much part of the early Calvary Chapel movement with along with Chuck Smith and, and many others uh a great pastor a great teacher uh and there was something in one of uh, his devotionals uh just a couple of days ago that I read that just to me was was so helpful that I thought I've got to share this so and and the verse that he quotes at the beginning of that um um Um, devotional comments that he uh, gives is this from romans 8 therefore brethren we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh for if you live after the flesh you shall die but if through the spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body you shall live okay right in line with the things we've been saying and these are the comments i just put up on the screen so you can see as as i read this to you Uh, and and these are john's john corson's comments I must mortify the deeds of the body. Some people say, I've got to crucify my flesh. But that's impossible to crucify yourself. If you lay down on a cross and pound a nail through your wrist, even if you somehow endure the pain, you're only half crucified, because you can't pound in the other nail. How do you mortify the deeds of the flesh? There's only one way, through the Spirit. The Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant, and had placed it in the temple of their fish god, Dagon. The next morning, the Philistine priests got up to find Dagon had fallen down before the ark. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3. So they stood Dagon up, and they went their way. The next morning, they came in again, and there was Dagon face down on the floor with his head and hands cut off. Now, at this point, you would think the priests would have said, something's fishy here, this isn't working. But instead... They chose to side with Dagon. They stood him up, patched him together and said, the ark's got to go. Precious people, the way to gain victory over whatever it is you are struggling with is not to try to topple Dagon, but to bring in the ark. For the ark represents the presence of God. Whatever your Dagon might be, here's the key. Bring in the spirit of the Lord. What does that mean? Just love the Lord. Get up tomorrow morning and before your feet hit the ground, drop to your knees and give your life to him. When he whispers in your heart during your coffee break, pull away and talk with me, do it. When you're deciding which dial to press on your radio during lunch, just do what the Spirit tells you to do. Allow the Spirit of God to fill your heart and you know what will happen? you'll lose interest in the stuff which dominated and controlled you. Not because you worked on Dagon, but because you brought in the Ark. That's why Romans 8 is so thrilling. Too many believers are trying to fight evil habits and tendencies on their own, and it's exhausting. If you walk into a dark room, you don't scream, karate chop, give teachings about or rebuke the darkness. You turn on the light. I thought that was so, so instructive, so helpful. This will be up online later, and I'll put it in the email we send out, because I think it's such a, a great, uh, simple way of looking at this. You know, don't try and topple Dagon in your life. These challenges and problems we face, bring in the ark, bring in the presence of God. Let that flow of direction be from the Lord. Okay, so how does all this tie in with Pentecost? Well, in Luke 24, 49, Jesus made this statement. He said, and behold, I send the promise of my father upon you but tarry you in the city of jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high jesus promised that as believers we could have a supernatural power in our lives again this empowering was to come after they'd received the holy spirit all right we all need this empowering we all need that outpouring of the holy spirit literally it's that uh baptism in the holy spirit that jesus was referring to here in acts chapter 1 verse 8 we read this but you shall receive power after that the holy ghost has come upon you so notice after so the holy spirit is going to come upon them but then they're going to receive this power and we're told that you should be witnesses unto me both in jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. A natural byproduct of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in our life is that we become witnesses. It's not something we try to do, but it's exactly, and what a great move and work of the Holy Spirit this morning in, in, in just getting James to share that verse with us, because it's so applicable to this study, that if we are connected to the vine, we will produce that fruit. Okay. You know, and it's such a clear thing here that if we are connected to the Lord, we will be witnesses and that will bear out in our lives and we will witness to the Lord just simply because the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. <clears throat> so we get to the day of Pentecost and it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. That's a really interesting expression. You may easily skip over that if you just read the text. But J. Vernon McGee, I've got to put a quote in from Dr. McGee this morning because he's one of Adrian's uh, uh, favourite teachers. Um, So uh, uh, J. Vernon McGee says this, The words fully come could be translated fulfilled. When the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled, they were all together in one place. So... The question then is, well, what does it mean that when the Day of Pentecost was being fulfilled? I mean, the the Day of Pentecost was a feast that the Jews had celebrated for for many, many years by this point. Well, the Feast of Pentecost, I'm sure you're familiar in scripture, is also referred to as the Feast of Harvest. Okay, It's also known as the Feast of Weeks, and we'll explain why in a short while. The Feast of Pentecost, as we already mentioned, but also the Jewish term for this would be the Feast of Shavuot. Okay, so these are all those terms referring to exactly the same event uh, that would take place. I just want to remind you, as we go into this, Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10 tell us, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God is telling us that he tells us history in advance of course we, we see god throughout his word doing this we see through direct specific prophecy god revealing future events before they happen it's really history recorded in advance but also through types and shadows okay or an event that anticipates something yet to occur or if you like a model in advance of the real thing now the rabbis uh used to say in the midrash actually is recorded that prophecy is pattern not just prediction now actually i don't like the word prediction because it conjures up the wrong idea in our understanding the, the, prophecy is not prediction at all it's actually the the future being told it's not predicting what might happen it's telling us what will happen it's an assured um recording in advance of what is going to take place but the important point there is that prophecy is pattern. Okay, so the Lord uses patterns. He set down a model in advance, and then we get the real thing. Now, Amita has been making these wonderful little uh dolls, uh, these little, little teddy bears. Um I've got a couple of them uh, now that she's made. They're really good. Um, but we cut out a pattern for her to use beforehand. Now, the pattern was just a template from which the real thing is, is made. Okay. That's what we have in scripture. We have a template laid down, typically in the Old Testament, and then we see later on, normally in the New Testament, the fulfillment of that, or the real thing. So you have a a kind of outline, a a template, and from that you have the real thing. That's what scripture is speaking about. Now, in the book of Colossians, Paul tells us exactly this. He says, in regard to the feast of Israel, let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, this is, again, thank you Adrian for sharing what you shared earlier, because this is exactly that, that same point being made here. Don't anybody judge you what you, what you think is right to eat or what you think is right to drink. Be convinced in your conscience before God. Or in respect of a, a holy day or a holiday, that's where holiday comes from, by the way, a holy day, a day that's set aside for the Lord. So often our holidays become anything other than that, but that's what they should be. Or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, I'll explain that in a moment, uh, which paul says here are a shadow of things to come but the body or the substance or the fulfillment is of christ in other words every single one of these sabbath days all point to jesus christ they are a template they're a model in advance to point to jesus in hosea chapter 12 verse 10 hosea there or god speaking through hosea Hosea records god says i have also spoken by the prophets and I have multiplied visions and used, notice the word here, similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. So the prophets have recorded something that happened, a real event, a real situation, but it's a model in advance of what is to come, a shadow, if you like, of the real thing. Of course, we have a number of these in scripture, and I haven't got time to go into a load of these this morning, but just a couple of highlights. Adam and Eve, of course, we're told in First Timothy 2.14 that Adam was not deceived, but Eve was in other words adam willingly entered into the predicament of becoming like his wife a sinner so that he could rescue her he recognized this and of course it's a wonderful picture of christ who became sin to rescue his bride a wonderful model in advance of course we have the situation with abraham and isaac abraham the father being willing to offer up his son Receives him back to life three days later on the very spot that you and I later know as Calvary or Mount Moriah. So many, many models there. And of course, then uh, after this time, the son Isaac is, is united with his bride. Lovely pictures. Models are written down way, way before the real events took place. Joseph, of course, over a hundred ways he becomes a type of Christ. He was rejected by his brothers, just as Jesus was, uh, later to sit at the right hand of the, the power, the authority, just as Jesus has done. And many other things we could list and look at. And, of course, Jonah, the man of has finished studying uh, through with Adrian, the book of Jonah, we finished on Friday night another blessed time but jesus himself points to the book of jonah and to jonah the prophet as depicting this three days and three nights that jesus was uh, as jonah was in the heart of the earth seemingly down to the bottom of the oceans and he died uh, and brought back to life just as jesus again was brought to life on the third day and then, of course, we have the seven feasts of Israel. That's what we're really interested in uh, this morning, the rest of our time together. So Leviticus 23 is one of the key chapters um, that details the seven feasts. There's actually a number of portions of scripture in the Old Testament, but Leviticus 23, one of the, the key ones to go to. So regard to the Feast of Harvest or Pentecost, which we were interested in this morning, um, it says, and you shall count unto you from morrow after the Sabbath. Now, that was the Sabbath or the Saturday because that's the, the Jewish Sabbath, that follows Passover. Now, the Passover, if you remember, would always be on the 14th of the month, the next day the 15th would always be the feast of unleavened bread and then whenever the sabbath arose, over the saturday following that the next day which would always be a sunday would be the feast of first fruits now that is your trigger that's your starting point and they then to count 50 days from that point and what we're told here uh is that uh, uh from the sabbath from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering that's feast of first fruits seven sabbaths in other words count seven weeks so seven lots of seven or 49 shall be complete and then we're told even unto the morrow after the seventh sabbath so we've got seven weeks that's 49 days and then the next day and it says you shall number 50 days so that's our 50th day you shall offer a new meat offering unto the lord so the the 50 is where we get the pentecost from from that the 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 reference to five as you know pente a pentagram five-sided shape and so on um so pentecost 50 days but also is referred to as the feast of weeks because it was this seven weeks okay or seven times seven okay so 49 days seven weeks so it's also referred to as the feast of weeks that's why it gets these different titles Uh, And notice the first thing we're told here, you should offer a new uh, meat, uh, meat offering unto the Lord. Okay. Now, it's interesting, just looking at this detail we're given, because the first thing specifically we're told that they're to do on this festival, on this feast day, is to offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. So, the, the word in the, the Hebrew is this, uh, It uh, is an offering that was to, to be brought to the Lord, uh, it's translated meat in the King James, uh, but it was a, a sacrificial offering and it was usually bloodless and voluntary. So I'm sure you're familiar that the word meat in the King James can also just mean food or some substance. So it could be a, a grain offering or a meal offering or something of that, that description, not necessarily a living creature that's then sacrificed. And typically in this festival, in this feast, it was uh, a bloodless an offering that was, brought, that was brought voluntarily to the tabernacle. So this feast straight away speaks of something new that was to be voluntarily presented to the Lord. Now think straight away what we read in the book of Acts, that when the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled... We're seeing the fulfilment. So everything that's written in Leviticus 23 here was simply a model pointing through to something greater. It was a shadow of something real. Now the real, the reality, of course, we're seeing here is the church. Of course, the church was something new. It was something uh, hidden. It was that mystery again. that, That something had been concealed. That was now being revealed. It was something new and it was the church of course those who become part of the church who who put their faith and trust in jesus do so voluntarily it's really interesting these types you see we're also told you should bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenth deals and they should be a fine flour they should be bacon with leaven they are the first fruits unto the lord now there's a lot in this verse firstly notice you should bring out of your habitations now again it's easy just to read over that and think not much of it but there's a lot in this because that which was to be presented was to come out of the houses of Israel that which is to be presented to the Lord had to come out of Israel effectively and where did the church come it came from out of the houses of Israel the early church was Jewish it came from outside from from that which was Jewish which was effectively in the houses it came out from the Jewish homes, it was the early Jewish believers that started the church. Notice that there was two wave loaves and two tenth deals. It's interesting that we have the, the two here, because two is always in scripture seen as the number of witness. Now, there are commentators that suggest that maybe this implies there's a double offering here, because clearly you have the the two offerings clearly described in the text. And maybe from a prophetic point of view, it's speaking of a a double offering or maybe a double fulfillment. I'll come back to that in a while. Notice that there should be a fine flower. Now, this is the bit that really links this in with our study in James that we've been going through and very much those verses I read from John Corson earlier. This fine flour was carefully ground and sifted to remove all impurities, all bran and husks. This flour was pure. Everything that wasn't pure had been removed from it or crushed so it had gone. Now, we remember where we started in our study, the book of James. James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various uh, or to, to diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let me paraphrase that in the light of Pentecost, in the, this uh, feast from Leviticus, that let patience have a perfect work so that you may be as that pure Ground flour being offered to the Lord voluntarily. <clears throat> in Hebrews, if you remember, when we were there a little while ago, we read this from chapter twelve, verse five, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, this grinding down sometimes that the Lord does in our lives, nor faint when you are rebuked of him so don't get tired recognize as james says that this is for your good that you may be complete for whom the lord loves he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives so god is doing this great work in our lives and it speaks of earthly fathers it says that verily for a few days they chastened us after their own pleasure for their own ends and maybe to avoid embarrassment in public so that you behave you know as your children as you go out with your parents but it says but god does what he does for our profit. He's not trying to save his reputation. He doesn't need to worry about that. He's he's trying to do this for our benefit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Okay, so this is the what's promised to us. This is why God allows his chastening, this grinding down of the flower, as it were. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Once again, we're back to that same theme of the branch and the fruit again. Unto them which are exercised thereby. Ephesians, again, you're familiar with this. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Again, this has been mentioned this morning already. The, the, the Lord's just gone before us this morning, laying the, the, the foundation here, uh, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And this is the key thing, verse 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That's the fine flower. That's exactly what was going on on the, the Feast of Harvest, Feast of Pentecost, that this flower was being ground down, that it wouldn't have spot or wrinkle, but that it would be pure. And that it should be holy without blemish. Okay, so that fine flour. And notice then it should be bacon with leaven. Now, if you've got a Jewish mindset at all, that should trouble you a little bit. Because every other feast of Israel, leaven was prohibited. This is the only feast where leaven is to be used. Which is a really strange thing until you start to see the bigger picture. Because leaven speaks of sin because it corrupts by puffing up and so on. First Corinthians five eight is our reference for that. Uh, but whereas Israel were to be separate from the world, or literally uncontaminated, the church, we're told in Scripture, in the New Testament, is to grow to maturity in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So it makes sense that this feast that really speaks of the church... Even though Israel has celebrated it without any understanding of the fulfilment, we see the fulfilment here in the fact that the leaven was included, because we are to grow in the midst of this crooked, perverse generation, but with the shine as lights. Uh, Dake in his commentary says this No bread made with leaven could be burned upon the altar. So the object was not a burnt offering. Aren't you pleased about that? God doesn't want to offer you as a burnt offering but this was a present to jehovah from the best produce of the earth okay so this breast that uh, this um, bread that's being offered to the lord was the best that could be offered from the earth and what a beautiful picture of the church that we are this voluntary offering that's been ground that's been purified like the fine flour and then with leaven included this bread that's made can't. it's not to be offered as a burnt offering but it's to be offered up as a as a gift to the lord just as the churches the the, the the parallels are really quite incredible and again the church is not destined to be consumed on the altar of god's wrath but instead is a gift from the father to his son of those he that's the father draws out of the world now notice again this should again be familiar with us from the new testament we're told that they are the first fruits unto the lord what a lovely picture this is painting for us of course in james uh, one we've seen this already of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures i praise god that we're going through james and these things fit so perfectly together we've seen this already we've been reminded that we're the first fruits we're seeing now in this feast of harvest how that there was the offering of the first fruits to the lord back into leviticus and you shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation. Let me just explain that as a typical uh, King James term that's used. But uh, con, I'm sure you're familiar, has that uh, idea of being with okay uh to converse to the idea of verse of spoken conversation to converse having a, a conversation with somebody with is the idea of con and vocation we understand of course you're calling what you do you're you know we, we all have this different vocations it's with vocation so it's anybody from whatever background you've got are being brought together really the idea of convocation is a group of people from different backgrounds being brought together so it's a holy gathering of lots of people from different backgrounds what's a great expression of the church in itself that may be a holy convocation unto you and we're told now this you shall do no servile work therein now for some of the feasts um, particularly the weekly sabbath and uh, things like the feast of uh, unleavened bread and others there were there was no work permitted none whatsoever but for this particular feast we're told that you should do no servile work. What does that mean? Well, literally, it's the work of a servant. That, that's the idea. Or let's put it another way, work for which you would receive remuneration. So on this feast day, this feast has embedded within it the idea of not working to receive reward okay that's the idea not working for for personal gain uh, on this particular day and we told it should be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout all your generations now when a person is born again they enter into the eternal rest in christ we've seen this we looked in more detail when we went through our study in hebrews no longer are they to labor by their own efforts for reward OK, or, or to put it another way, we can't, by our efforts, gain the kind of reward that we're looking for. That religion uh, that we mentioned earlier, the again back to the Cain and Abel situation. Cain, of course, was by his own efforts, his own work trying to be right with God. We can't do that because we know clearly that Christ has done it all for us. Now the writer to the Hebrews comments uh, this we saw this a little while back now in our study in Hebrews for he that is entered into his rest he also also has ceased from his own works as God did from his in other words yes we still produce fruits. Yes, in a sense, we are to uh, have good works accompanying our salvation. And James will talk more about those good works that we've already been referring to. But they're not works in a sense that we are doing to obtain position or standing or or favour with God. We can't do that. That's all been accomplished by Christ. We are to rest from our works. So it's very fitting that this feast has a particular instruction that no servile work is to be allowed during this time nothing for which you would receive uh, benefit or reward in that sense very strangely at the end of the details in Leviticus 23 about this feast it says this and when you reap the harvest of your land thou shalt not make it clean thou shalt not make a clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger, I am the Lord, your God. Now, I'm sure many of you have already started to think about the book of Ruth, because it's, of course, this law that's laid down in the Torah that Ruth becomes a beneficiary of. as She goes to the field of Boaz and ends up reaping around the, the edge of the field and things are left for her, gleaning what she can to provide some sort of uh, uh, income, um, nourishment, food, and so on, for herself and Naomi, her mother-in-law. Of course, we know that the book of Ruth is this beautiful picture of Christ and the church, this Gentile bride, and then Boaz, the kinsman, redeemer. We've uh, talked and we've studied uh, through the book of Ruth before. I'm sure you're familiar with those kind of ideas. But interestingly, the Jews read the book of Ruth each Pentecost. Why? Well, as many of these feasts, the things that the Jews do, they don't fully understand the reasons why they do them. I can tell you now it's because God is engineering behind the scenes the fulfillment of all of these things, that this Feast of Pentecost, this Feast of Harvest is a model of the church and that's why this passage i'm sure i'm convinced of it the holy spirit has put it there in leviticus 23 to give us another link directly to the church again it speaks of this gentile bride purchased by the kinsman redeemer and again naomi after leaving the land and returning in poverty is finally introduced to that kinsman redeemer as a, a wonderful picture now i mentioned about the double fulfillment how does this play out? Well, in Exodus 23, 16, when it's speaking of this feast, there's another passage that speaks about the feast. It says this, And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labours, which thou hast sown in the field. What an interesting expression in the light of some of the things we read in the New Testament, because here we have a field that has been sown with seed. And at the time of the harvest, the first fruits... gathered in i hope this excites you because as you start to think of the new testament you just see how incredible this model is that god has laid down let me take you to matthew 13 i'm sure you're familiar verse 24 the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field but while men slept his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way we go on and uh, in verse 30 it says let both that is the tares and the wheat grow together until the harvest And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, "Gather you together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn." So this promise that that which is sown is going to produce this crop, is produce this fruit, and that wheat is going to be gathered into the barn as the first fruits just as we read in scripture the church is so again in matthew 13 we've got a field sown with good seed at the time of the harvest the good seed will be gathered into his barn which i think is a beautiful picture of the rapture of the church taking you back to exodus we've got a harvest of the first fruits in matthew we've got the same is it a coincidence i don't believe for one second i think it's been said the coincidence is when god chooses to work anonymously so Another interesting aside to this, Enoch has often been pointed to as possibly a type of the church. Okay, And we see this, again, this idea of double fulfillment here. Tradition says that he was born on the Feast of Pentecost, which, okay, on its own, you don't do a huge amount with that. But there were three groups at the time of the Flood. Okay, So this is the time that Enoch was alive just prior to the time of the Flood. There were those that were destroyed in the Flood of course the unbelievers and so on there were those who were preserved through the flood very much that's the type of israel in the sense um, that the lord will preserve israel through the coming tribulation that's ahead of us and then there was those who were removed prior to the flood of course in this case enoch so we have that model already laid down in scripture another one of these models now tradition holds that enoch was raptured or literally caught up to heaven on his birthday So what some commentators and scholars have just mused over, and we're not trying to set dates or anything here, but it's simply just to say the church we know was born at Pentecost. We know how consistent God is with these types and with these models. Is there the implication here that the church could also be translated on its birthday, on Pentecost? Now, you might start to say, oh, we don't know the day or the hour. Well, that's partially true. Let me just read to you from 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3 and 4. For when they shall say, peace and safety, this is speaking of the world, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child. Uh, Cat knows, uh, is about to know all about that. And all the ladies who have had babies already know exactly what that travail is like as you're waiting to give birth. That's how it's going to be for the world, though. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that, that day should overtake you as a thief, what day is being spoken about. We've already seen in the previous chapter, in chapter 4 of First Thessalonians, the promise of the rapture of the church. And Paul now says that that day should not overtake us. In other words, we should be looking for, we should be waiting for, be anticipating the rapture of the church, that day when we're taken out of this world. In the, the Greek, it's the definitive article. It's not just talking about any old day, it's talking about a specific day. By the way, the wise virgins knew the day, okay? But they didn't know the hour. Noah also knew the day. He didn't know the hour. It's interesting, if you do a little study in those scriptures, I encourage you to do so. There is strong implication that we should know the day, but we won't know the hour, all right? Now, I'm not saying this morning that, Today, as Pentecost, is going to be the day that the church is raptured. For a start, it will probably be according to the Jewish calendar and not to to our Gregorian calendar. But that's not the point. The fact is that the rapture is coming. We need to be ready. We need to be waiting. And you know what? It could be today. And if it is today, are you ready? Are you really ready? Today, if the Lord were to call and we were to be caught up into the clouds, are you ready? Are you excited? Are you looking for his return? As we're told in Scripture, we should be. You know, we've seen already the promise of rewards for those that are looking for his appearing. And that's how we should be living our lives. In Luke 10 verse 2, it says, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore, that the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. You see, when did the harvest commence? When did this harvest begin? Well, it began, the church began on the day of Pentecost. That's when the harvest started, when people were being gathered and brought and ready uh, to be brought into his barn ultimately. And in John 4.35, say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. Jesus says, don't say that the harvest is a way off. The harvest is ready. We're ready to go. We're ready to start to bring in this harvest into his barn. So the question again, when will the harvest be complete? Well, at the time of the rapture. You could argue that the church will be the the, the first fruits of all those that will be brought in. That will be the first fruits, just as the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Pentecost speaks of, that will be brought in to his barn. Again, just take you back to that verse, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Luke noted this back in chapter 1, verse 14 of Acts. Again, that being together in one accord. This is how the early church were. This is how we also must be in one accord with each other. And I praise God, even that through this really challenging time, with lockdown and everything else, that the Lord has done an incredible work to bring us together, to give us even greater unity than maybe we had before. Just you know, that love for each other, being uh, able to be expressed in different ways. But we should also be one in experience. You know, again, acknowledging the struggles we've gone through. We're going to get to this in James. If the Lord tarries, if the Lord doesn't come back today, by his grace, we'll carry on through the book of James. And James will make that point, how we should be sharing and be open with each other and praying for each other. But also we need to be one in purpose. That means that the life you live has got to be such that you are aware that that which you do can impact other people within the fellowship one in prayer okay also is an incredibly important part of our relationship not just with each other but with the lord all these things one in experience one in purpose one in prayer that's how the early church were okay uh verse 10 of first corinthians uh chapter one it says this now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and there will be no divisions among you, but you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. You know the Lord can do so much when we are on the same page, when we're united, when we're growing together. You know, when we're not trying to uh, fulfil our own ambitions or desires or plans. And there's so much in Scripture about the unity that God desires. You know, and as we said before, there's a difference between union and unity unity is what we should be striving for as believers not just union not an agreement to agree uh you know we can't just lay aside truth for the sake of of union as i've said before that analogy is the late Barry Smith gave if you had two cats and you tied them together by their tails and you hung them over a clothesline you'd have union but you wouldn't have unity uh, it's a kind of graphic picture of that but Psalm 133 behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity it's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard even aaron's beard that went down to the skirt of his garments as the jew of Hermon, as the jew that descended upon the mountains of zion for there the lord commanded the blessing even life forevermore see this blessing promised when we have that unity together and again it speaks of the way that we live our lives that we are to to have this godly conversation this godly lifestyle not just for our own sake not just so that we would be without confusion as james put it we looked at earlier but because we're aware that the things that we allow into our lives will impact the body will impact each other again when the day of pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place okay the last point here. You see, this was the house they'd been meeting in. They were united. They were together. They had all things in common. You know, And they gathered together because today was the Jewish feast of harvest. And they had this expectation of what God was going to do. Now, for us, we don't know whether it's going to be today, whether we're raptured. But we need to be living like it is. You know, It may be that the Lord will rapture the church on a different feast day or a different day altogether. I have a sneaky suspicion it could well be Pentecost. That means it could be today. But if it's not, we want to be living tomorrow as if it could be tomorrow. Because once again, you don't know the difference in dates between the calendars and so on. And, um, you know, so we've just got to be ready. That's what scripture tells us. Notice also they gathered early. OK, this is this is the idea that they were ready to celebrate You know, possibly again, in expectation and maybe thinking of the sacrifices that were to be offered and so on. And then we're told that suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Well, you know, this promise we have of the Holy Spirit. This is incredible. I just want to just in closing, just take you to um, some of the uh, comments we have from the Old Testament that link in with this. You see, it's the sound of a mighty breathing. There wasn't actually a wind. It doesn't say there was actually a wind, but this awesome sound. It sounded like a wind. Uh, And suddenly, no doubt, mid-conversation, everything on the day of Pentecost stopped. As the early church had gathered together, suddenly everything stops. And we're told there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now, 900 years before this, the Shekinah glory of God, that had originally clothed Adam and Eve before their sin, that had stood above the tabernacle in the Old Testament in the wilderness, that had been as that cloud during the day, the pillar of fire by night, that Shekinah glory had descended in fire upon Solomon's temple. I just want to read this to you from Second Chronicles chapter 7. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. This was just overwhelming. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good for his mercy endures forever now in first kings chapter 9 we read this and it came to pass when solomon had finished the building of the house of the lord and the king's house and all solomon's desire which he was pleased to do that the lord appeared to solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at gibeon and the lord said unto him i have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou was made before me and I've hallowed this house, which thou hast built, to put my name there forever. Notice what God is saying he does to this house that have been built with hands, that God's name is going to be put there. My eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And he says, And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walks, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, Then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail the amend uh, upon the throne of Israel. But if you shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name I will cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. Well, we know that history has been fulfilled in that regard. And at this house which is high, everyone that passes by it shall be astonished, and shall hear and they shall say, Why has the Lord done thus unto this land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon the gods, and have worshipped them, and served them. Therefore, has the Lord brought upon them all this evil. You know, it was an unspeakable privilege for Israel to be God's chosen nation. Furthermore, that his glory should dwell in their midst was an incredible honor. and Hence the serious repercussions for violation of this position that they had. However, The succession of ungodly kings who defiled the temple finally brought God's judgment upon them and Israel was taken out of their land and carried captive to Babylon and the temple was finally destroyed. But whilst in Babylon, Ezekiel saw a chilling vision of one of the darkest days in Israel's history and we read about it in Ezekiel 10. Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim's. And the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. And when they went out, the wheels also were beside them. And everyone stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. It speaks of that time when the glory, the Shekinah glory of God, departed from the temple because of their iniquity. Now, just to conclude this morning seven times in the new testament we're told that we are the temple of the holy spirit the holy spirit that was given to the church that came in power upon the church on the day of pentecost you know no longer does god reside in buildings made with hands but in earthen vessels according to 2 corinthians 4 7 in fact isaiah 66 says this verse 1 thus says the lord the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool where is the house that you build unto me and where is the place of my rest for all those things is my uh, and my handmaid and those uh, things have been, says the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. First Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 says, Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you, just as the Shekinah glory of God came and dwelt in Solomon's temple. So you have the same holy spirit that's your kind of glory of god dwelling in you and we have this warning if any man defile the temple of god him shall god destroy for the temple of god is holy which temple you are that should serve as a real warning to us and what an awesome privilege we have and what a responsibility back into acts chapter 2 verse 4 and they were filled with the holy ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance other times literally use other languages of course immediately they are filled they begin to witness just as jesus said they would do that they would do greater works than he did he was a witness to his father they also were to be witnesses because of that indwelling work of the holy spirit so let me just remind you again we have now been filled with the holy spirit of god the holy spirit is now within us that's Shekinah kind of glory and as we saw in our the verses or the comments i read from the devotion by john corson earlier you know we don't need to struggle at bringing down dagon we don't really struggle to bring down those things in our lives that have been a challenge we just need to bring the ark in we need to place it before our mind before our heart god's presence is already with us we just need to allow him to be the influence in our lives not the things of the world you know There's a lot of light bulbs you can see in that picture, but they're all dull. But the one in the center is shining brightly. And all we need to do is effectively turn on the light. As John Corson concluded in that bit we read, you know, when you go into a room, if it's dark, you don't have to speak and, and rebuke the darkness. You don't have to recite anything or say anything. Just simply turn on the light. You have the incredible gift because of Pentecost, because of the promise of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit has been given to the church forever. He indwells us. We just need to allow him to work in our lives and those things of the flesh will disappear. And again, the words of that great hymn we sing, to turn our eyes upon Jesus, you know, when we do the things of this earth will become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace next week we're going to carry on god willing if we're not raptured today or during the week next week we're going to carry on by god's grace to chapter four so read ahead let's bow our hearts father we just thank you for this time this morning just to review these things to think back of that initial pentecost that day of celebration lord as they were coming to bring their offerings those voluntary offerings and yet then lord realizing seeing that all of those things spoke of the church that you were building and you were creating jesus you declare that you would build your church and what a privilege we have of being part of this church this offering these first fruits that are offered to our father Oh, we thank you, Lord, for the work you have done in our lives. And Father, we pray you forgive us if we've been slow to understand. Lord, if we've allowed the the influences of the world to cloud our mind, if they've brought confusion. But Lord, we pray now that you fill us with that wisdom that is from above, that is peaceable, that is righteous. Oh Lord, transform us by the renewing of our minds, we pray, that we can be witnesses for you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.